Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I want to welcome you to Common Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I am filling in for Tim, who is in hell right now. And by hell, I mean Houston. <clears throat> Probably feels a lot like hell. He is at the uh, Rethinking Hell, the Legacy of Edward Fudge conference. I just found out this morning that he got to meet Edward Fudge, and Edward Fudge said, Hey, you're the guy that wrote that brain book and referenced me in your book. Thank you for doing that. So uh, I'll be interested next week to find out what came out of that conference. But let's uh, begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day, another day of, of rest, and for what this day represents and says about your character, that you indeed are a God of love, truth, and freedom. Please guide our study this morning, um, and uh, be with those of our group who are not with us, and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We are studying lesson number four in our quarterly, because we're two weeks ahead. Uh, the the lesson is entitled Salvation. I um, I looked up the word salvation, looked up the etymology uh, of it, not to be confused with entomology, which I believe is the study of insects. Uh, the etymology of it, and I've included it in the notes. Uh, there are there's a boatload of of information here with uh, some. Hebrew words that I have no chance of pronouncing, but um, just to just to a brief overview um, from the Latin "salvus" means whole, safe, healthy, and uninjured, uh, which I think is fantastic um, uh, synonyms for salvation: whole, self, safe, healthy, uninjured. That's that's what that's what Christ intends for us. Um. Interestingly enough, the, the, the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace, uh, there's also a root of um, salvation. Uh, also, some of the roots are to consolidate, sage, um, salutary, salvage, um, solemn, and solid. So uh, include, you, know, you look over that in the notes uh, if you want uh, some more information on the uh, origins of the word salvation. Um, in Sabbath, Sabbath lesson, our memory text, we can recite it from memory, uh, is probably the most widely referenced uh, text in all passage in all of Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that text mean? We, we've, we've said it from rote memory so many times. Have we ever really stopped and considered what that text mean? What does the text mean? Any thoughts? Yes, sir. Like the word soul. For God so loved the world. <laughs> yeah, it, it adds something to it, doesn't it? For God loved the world. For God so loved the world. Yeah, that's, I, I, thank you. I, I hadn't thought of that. Anybody else? Thoughts on what uh, text means? Makes us want to believe in him. Okay. Makes us want to believe what Jesus said about the Father. So ah. That brings Where are you? Okay. Go down that road a little further. Explain what what, what did Christ say about the Father that you're particularly uh, thinking about? Um, just the way that he walked, talked lived on earth that's how the father does if you've seen me you've seen the father the father and i are one that's life the son knows the father yes. okay good i've often wondered why it doesn't say whoever believes in him would not perish instead of should not perish okay i've never considered that what does it mean to believe in jesus christ does it mean does it mean simply to believe that he was the son of God? Does it mean simply to believe that he and the father are one in character and purpose and identity? Is that do you have just have to believe that? Or is there something more to the word belief? I think kind of to me it's like when you trust his his life method of dying to self, then you'll live. Okay. Good. 
The when you mentioned that, Tina, my 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 thought, my my brain just went to should not implies that there's a choice in there somewhere. Would not almost um, eliminates the choice. So maybe maybe that was maybe it's phrased that way on purpose, or maybe it's translated that way on purpose. Um, if if we really believe that God loved the world enough that He gave up His only Son, and you parents think about this, okay, how many of you would give your child to die to to wake up somebody as some other kid? Possibly not even one of your own, and possibly an enemy of yours. Okay, how many? How many? How many of us love that much? Yeah, but you give yourself if we give your kid. Right. Exactly. And and that's exactly what God did. God did give God did give Himself. But which would be harder for the parent to give themselves or to give their child? Of course. Then how has Christianity gotten this theology so backwards? With with this this particular text, you go to any football game and there's some guy with a with a poster, John three sixteen, and he used to wear a rainbow wig. I mean, you see him at the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals, a Stanley Cup. There was a guy, so usually on the front row. I don't know how he made it there with a with a wig and, and John three sixteen on a placard. How has Christianity gotten it so backwards? How have we how have we de- uh, come up with a theology that says that God had to punish His Son, or worse, that God killed His own Son on the cross? Karen. I think because we use the metaphors and we don't recognize the limitations of the metaphors, and at some point you ex- you keep going on and you kind of play out the metaphor if it indeed is true, you know, mm-hmm. capital T, and you end up in places that you really don't want to be. And so we need to be careful in using our metaphors, recognizing that they're limited, and uh, uh, be careful of our listener and mindful as to what that, how that might play out well after you're gone and not right. there to be able to um, help fill in the blanks as to how you understand it. So that we don't substitute the theories of men for the Correct. thus saith the Lord. <clears throat> well said. Um, the lesson states that uh, we have often heard death is just a part of life. Um, how, how, do, how, how should we, with our particular understanding, or respond to something like this? I've heard it before. I've heard it in the past month. Death is just a part of life. Is it? First of all, is death just a part of life? Well, it is. It's not what God planned, but that's what it is. Now that sin entered the world, he didn't plan on us dying. Death is the absence of life. Define, we need to define death first, don't we? The death that we understand, uh, Christ refers to as a sleep. Yeah. Okay, he, humans, we speak of death as done. My father died six years ago. I haven't seen him since. Gone. So, but is he is he dead as a, as far as? Uh, as far as heaven is concerned, no. as far as, no, he's not. He will be resurrected in the first or the second one. I, I don't, that's not for me to decide. I don't know. Every, every human being that's gone to sleep on this planet will be resurrected. So the next time, next time you hear something like this, we need to define death. <coughs> Okay, this planet, is, to my knowledge, because I haven't been to any other ones, is the only is the only planet where beings go to sleep. This is extremely important because I came from Wiccan and New Age, mm-hmm. and their basic theology is there's the two halves. You know, there's yin yang. Right, kind of they're opposing forces. One without the other. Correct. Yeah, evil and good are are coexistent. Uh, life and death are coexistent. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's um, 
It's not the way life was designed to operate. So we need to, you know, next time you hear death is a part of life, we need to, I would suggest clarifying some things. What if you're talking to someone that is, doesn't even believe in heaven, or they don't believe in even a God? How would you describe death to them? Any thoughts? Excellent question. I think you can talk about the hope that you have. You know, um, until that becomes their paradigm, mm-hmm. you, you're not arguing a point. You're not presenting anything. You're presenting what you believe and your hope. Right. You meet people where they are. And if someone understands that you have a hope that is beneficial, then it may be attractive to someone else. Mm-hmm. But if what you have looks so oppressive, then there's nothing that they want to see or be part of. Well said. You know, Tim, Tim has put forth the theory, and it may not be a theory, it may be legitimate, that, that Rome fell. Ultimately, Rome fell because of how the Christians behaved in the arena when wild animals or gladiators were tearing them apart. They were they were singing songs of praise, and they were they they did not they didn't take any steps to defend themselves. While pagan Rome was terrified of death, and they and and the onlookers saw the Christians' behavior and say, "Wait a minute, how, how are these people not afraid of death?" And ultimately, that's that's what caused the the end of Rome as a world power. How did that cause? Um, again, I don't. I, I'm speaking for Tim. It's just something he's something I've heard up here. Um, you know, citizen. You know, the Romans start investigating. Well, you know, I want this. I want this sort of. Um, I want this sort of bull. I want to be. I don't want to be afraid of death. And and. Christian converts start multiplying and multiplying, and and Rome tries to oppress, oppress it, and ultimately is destroyed. I, I don't know the mechanics and political arguments of it. I don't even know if it's true. That's why. That's why. Uh, it, probably a theory. Um. The bottom paragraph of Sabbath lesson. <clears throat> the Bible is clear. We have only two choices regarding our sins. Either we pay for our sins in the lake of fire, or we accept Christ's payment for them on the cross. As we review the generous gift of God's grace through Christ, let us once again humbly renew our faith in Jesus as our personal Savior. Any thoughts? It's interesting uh, the, in the lessons this uh, so far this quarter. They almost have a almost like there's two authors that are, are contributing to it. One coming from a natural law, uh, a grace background, and the other coming from a penal substitution, imposed law background. Uh, it's almost schizophrenic. <laughs> so, um, you know, seventy percent of this lesson, I believe, is just dead on point. Just very well said and right on. And then there's the 30% like this. Well, don't you think that in addition to the Sabbath school lesson that our entire church and the Christian, especially our church, has approached all religious subject in that manner? And we wonder why... <laughs> With schizophrenia? We wonder why kids don't stay in the church and so on. Mm-hmm. Because there's, so, uh, there's contradictions that don't make sense. And so they to say, Chuck, that, you know? Yeah. I'm- well, that's true. There, there, are, there are legitimate contradictions, and there are also contradictions that um, are apparent because we don't have the maturity to understand them, I mean, I, myself included. You know, there, are, there are concepts that appear contra- that appeared contradictory to me 10 years ago that are now very clear. Yes, Karen. Linda, to me, it seems like we have to teach kids about that mystery. There are certain things that are contradictory and need to be fleshed out, even if it's still theory, even if we don't understand and we can't 
point of text and verse to prove each and every step. We're trying to fill in and flush out the principles that we're given. And to do that in a consistent way, I think, is where we have to teach our kids. Uh, and, and yet we recognize that even them or us, that not likely this side of heaven will we understand fully without seeing God. Again. No, absolutely. No question. But that's but, also, well, that's also why it's not the church that saves you. Right. That's why it's an individual search for God and the truth for yourself. I mean, there was a day that I would have thought there's no way in the world you get to heaven without being a Seventh-day Adventist. I've completely done away with that. You know? Yeah, I was in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, it's your relationship with God and how you understand Him, and it may not be the way if the person next to you understands it. Right. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. But Correct. You have to search for yourself where you find the truth. That, that's why That's why at this class we're trying to advance the integrative evidence-based approach of Scripture, science, and personal experience, all harmonizing. And the harmonies are different for from me and for you. Um, I I don't believe that Scripture says anywhere that Christ paid for my sins. He paid anyone for my sins or for your sins. I don't think he paid. He paid a dear price. Don't get me wrong. He paid a significant price. But I don't think he paid anyone. I don't think he paid the law. He didn't pay God. He didn't pay Satan. But if you were talking to a slave uh, person who had been in a place needing to be ransomed, outside of the concept of sin, but to be set free, that ransom metaphor might be wonderful. That might really help them. But it, it's limited, but it might really start the process of growing for them. It might. I, th I certainly think it, it may have a place. I think that... I think that every human, free or slave, has been sick before. And to to use a metaphor of healing versus you know illness versus healed uh, carries more weight because not all of us have been slaves. Well, literally speaking, we're we're, we're metaphorically slaves to our sinful nature, but uh, but we haven't been actual actual bondage. Uh, I think the the healing versus sick metaphor carries far more weight. Um, Sunday's lesson, salvation is a gift from God. You know, here again, the first three paragraphs are so eloquent and on point, I gotta wonder if they come from a different author than the passage I just read. Um, let me read them real quick. The English verb to love, especially in the casual way as is often used today, is totally inadequate to express the depth of salacious interest expressed by the Greek verb agapo, meaning to love. In the New Testament, this term and its related noun agape, love, Reveal God's deep and constant love to his creatures who are completely unworthy of this love. Love is a preeminent attribute of God's character. Amen. Well said. He not only loves us, but he is also love. Again, well said. God's love is not an impulse based on his feelings or preferences. That's right. It emanates from his character. His love is not selective, nor does it depend on what we do. God loves the world, that is, all human beings, including those who do not love him. True love is known by the action it generates. I underline this for emphasis. Um, I'll say it again. True love is known by the action that it generates. Actions it generates. Sometimes, as human beings, we may say that we love someone while our actions demonstrate the opposite. This same does not occur with God. His love is reflected in His actions. Out of love, He gave His only begotten Son for our salvation. In doing so, God gave us all He had, which is Himself. Okay, I, I think this is dead on point. Any other thoughts? Yes. I know when I was starting to learn all this wonderful stuff, uh, I rewrote 1 Corinthians 13, but instead, you know, of love is patient, love is kind, but God is patient. Mm -hmm. Halfway through, I tore it up. I didn't believe it based on how I'd been raised. I, God keeps no record of wrong. Oh, that's blasphemy. I'm sorry. I, right. I, tore it up. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't, like she said, I couldn't find where those two even meshed. Right. But now I do. Good. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. But Russell, I wanted to back to your comment. I wanted to say sometimes as a parent, <clears throat> your child will judge you as unloving. <laughs> uh, you, that's where I was going next. You're right. You might take to try to prevent their. That's correct. Uh, Early demise. Early demise. <laughs> <laughs> Premature demise. So yeah. Say, you know, 
you know, that they're irre- irretrievable. And sometimes we view God as harsh and so when he's you're, really trying to step in to prevent our demise. That's absolutely correct. Perspective matters, doesn't it? Okay, what child hasn't viewed their parent as arbitrary or, um, you know, not looking out for their best interest? Uh, my mom tell I don't remember this, mom tells a story that um, she had disciplined me for something, and my response was, you're just trying to ruin my life. <laughs> I don't recall saying that, but whatever, I, I don't doubt it. Okay, my perspective was immature. I didn't have the full picture. Just like the three-year-old doesn't understand this, the second law of thermodynamics and entropy. They brush their teeth because the parents have a rule, and if I break the rule, I'm going to get my behind warmed. Okay, perspective matters. That's correct. And it still matters. You know, as we grow into adulthood, we still don't have all this perspective. And when we get to heaven, we're still not going to have our, the full perspective. We're, you know, we're told that this... This process of salvation, the physiology behind it, is going to be our our science and our song for eternity. Yes? Jesus came to live out the character of God, show the character of God, and we killed him because of it. That's, that's right. We're going to get to that, I believe, in the very next lesson. But look at how he treated the woman caught in adultery. And I always wonder where the man caught in adultery went. But anyway, the woman caught in adultery, you know, they... Yeah. They were, you know, the way Jesus dealt with her is something we should really think about when it comes to keeping a list of wrongs and so on. Because she was flagrantly, apparently, violating the law and caught doing so red-handed, so to speak. And... Yet, when he began to point out the sins of the others, we're told, they, they abandoned their effort to kill her, realizing, you know, uh, they were at fault as well. I think that's actually the more important part of the story, is how, not only how God treated the woman caught in adultery, but how he treated those accusing her. Yeah. He, was, he, didn't, he didn't call them out by name. He didn't embarrass them in front of their peers or in front of the woman. He just wrote wrote in the sand and as they watched what he was writing they their the holy spirit convicted their heart and they said i've got to be somewhere (laughs) next thing you know there's no one there where are your accusers and i think neither do i condemn you go and live live better life was going in the wrong direction what she needed to do was go in the right direction that's right i think that if we see god in that act we will understand better where he's coming from when we are wrong that's right i mean i i've asked it before in here how many people did christ condemn to a lake of fire when he was on earth how many did he actually burn in fact when his two disciples asked should we call down fire from heaven on this city because they the city rejected uh, the teaching what was christ's response Wrong spirit. You do not know whose spirit uh, you are speaking from. Does that give you a new perspective on Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe? Yes. <laughs> Think about that. That was one of the things that well, she was talking about. He didn't punish either group. They, they right. made hopefully everybody growing profit. Yes. No punishment was put on anybody. Correct. Getting back to the quote in the lessons, that true love is known by the action it generates. If that is the case, and I believe it is, um, how could God have killed his own son on the cross? As some of Christianity theorizes that that's the case. He didn't. He didn't, thank you. That's right. And how could he kill his children by cooking them in, in hell forever, or for only as long as they deserve? Continue with that same thought, the, the bottom question on yeah, the well, lesson. Yes, go ahead, please. If God gave you what you deserved, what would it be and why? What, what's implied by that question? Well, that it's a legal issue or that or it's something that's exceptional. That he has to do That God's law is imposed, that's right. But if he is the great physician, then he's going to give me the strongest medicine possible, which is the cross. Yes. Christ on the cross. A revelation. Heal mm-hmm. the damage that was done. So if God gave you what deserved, I'm diseased, 
and terminal, what would it be? It would be a cure for my disease and everlasting life. And that's what he's promised. That's right. Well said. Yes, ma'am. Also, he would give us the truth because we were, you know, we didn't ask to be born. Correct. And we didn't ask to be born sin damaged. Correct. And there has been a lot of misunderstanding and we really need, we really deserve the truth about God. That's right. And we're going to get a little bit into some of this uh, guilt that gets um, preached from pulpits uh, here in later lessons. Um, you know, <clears throat> speaking of what's deserved, I mean, that's a great segue to the next segment. Um, this is, uh, this, this story may be urban legend. I don't know. It, I first heard it back in the early eighties. Um, I, I found it again online. There, there's some, some sites say it's legitimate. Some sites say it's, uh, it's a made up story, but it's, it's, a amusing one at the, at least. Um, what maybe urban legend tells of a Frenchman named Jacques Lefebvre who was intent on ending his life, and he found himself on top of a cliff overlooking uh, the sea. And around him, he had a book of matches, he had a stake in the ground with one end of a rope tied to it, and he had a pistol and a bottle of poison. This guy was thorough. So he tied one end of the rope around the stake and tied the other end around his neck, he drank the poison, set his clothing on fire, and he leapt off the cliff. As he was falling, he attempted to shoot himself in the head to, to make his death a quick one, resolve, you know, resolve the hanging. Uh, his aim was off, and he ended up shooting the rope and severing it. <laughs> Surviving the fall into the seawater, he consumed some seawater and ended up throwing up the poison. <laughs> the seawater, of course, doused the flames in his clothing, and he survived the fall and was ultimately picked up by a passing fisherman and taken to the hospital, where he ultimately died of hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> Did this guy deserve to die for so many violations of attempted violations of natural law? Did he deserve to be punished? Or did he get what he deserved, or was did he get what the result of his choices were? He got the natural consequence of choices. So many violations of natural law, gravity, momentum, ballistics, violations of health, ingesting poison, um, you know, a critical lowering of the body temperature. If his death was a result of natural consequence. If you open the door of your child's room, just in time to see them step off a chair in an attempt to hang themselves, does that child deserve to die for a violation of the law of respiration? What, is, what does love do to that child? Rescue. Lifts them up. Takes the tension off. What does justice do? They have, uh, they have attempted to violate the law of respiration. What does justice do? Does justice demand you bang a gavel? Say, thou shalt die. Or worse, pick out a gun and shoot them while they're hanging there? Is that, is that what justice does? Come on. While it is, while it's true that um, nothing, uh, humanity has nothing to offer to merit God's favor, uh, we were we were completely incapable of of uh, healing our own self. Why were we incapable of healing ourselves? Because we were sick. Because we were sick. <laughs> that, okay, that, that you're on the right track. What happened in Eden? We were born into sin. It's part of our genetic makeup. Yep. It's okay. It's part of our genetic makeup because we lived a lie. We went. We go all the way back to Eden. Adam and Eve distrusted God. And they pass that genetic flaw on to their offspring. And every offspring since has been born with that mistrust of God. We've been, we've been running away from the only source, the only being in the universe that could, that could fix us. 
Humanity, while it's true humanity had nothing inherent to merit God's favor, God, so, God loves so much that he offers healing as a gift. Humanity still has to cooperate with the process because God is love, and therefore he will not force healing on anyone who doesn't want it. Back before, uh, six, seven years ago, I was having a discussion about, um, with a friend about the, the, the gift of salvation, and her her uh, point, and this is before I had any concept of the natural versus imposed law argument. Um, her her statement was, "No, no, no! Salvation is free. It, it, it's a gift. It, it's like it's like a napkin. Here, I give you the napkin. The napkin is free. It's yours. You didn't do anything to. You didn't ask for it. You didn't deserve the napkin. It's a gift." And my response was. Okay, but I still have to use a napkin to wipe the mustard off my face. Oh, wait a minute, I don't eat mustard. The the ready burger off my face. Okay, salvation is a gift, but we still we still play a role. We still have something, something to do. We have to use that. We have to we have to take the medicine. We have to integrate the healing medicine into our into our being in order for it to work. Yes. If we're sick, we don't have to know how an antibiotic works. We just have That's to right. trust the doctor who gives it to us. That's right. I, I can't begin to tell you the, uh, the biochemistry of how Cipro, Ciprofloxin, uh, addresses anthrax. But if a, doctor tells me, if a doctor I trust tells me it does, I'll take it. If a doctor I didn't trust gave me Cipro, I'd, I might think twice about filling the prescription. Uh, Monday's lesson. <clears throat> salvation being God's initiative. Why was salvation God's initiative? Only he could initiate. <laughs> That's right. Humanity couldn't do it. Only he could initiate it. I mean, no one else has the ability. Right. If if the human species was going to be restored, God was God had to initiate it because we couldn't. And that's just like him. Exactly. It, it's just like the God I now know. I know now. It's it's not like the God I knew twenty years ago. God had to take the initiative if humanity was going to survive. And consider the character of love that that said, you know. I must go and reveal to the human species the truth about my character. And his son said, Father, the controversy is with me. Let me do it. I will go and reveal your character. I will reveal my character. I will reveal Satan's character. And I will reveal to humanity their condition. And not only that, I will secure the healing remedy and offer it to them for free. And what did you mean by the controversy is with me? With Christ. My understanding is that Satan alleged equality with Christ. Oh, okay. Initially, yeah. Am I incorrect in that? No, no, I just, okay. No, my, what I'm suggesting is that God himself wanted to come. And Christ said, no, let me go. Yes. Could it be that, I mean, sin originated, well, the separation originated in heaven... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was wondering, um, could that be why the Father created the planet in the first place? Was to say, let me create man in my image and I'll show the universe what I'm like. Like, that was our... Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely think that was Adam and Eve's... That was their job, yeah. to reveal the character of God. That's why Christ is referred to as the second Adam. But he knew before he created him what they were going to do. That's right. And he created him anyway. He knew he knew before he created Lucifer what was going to happen. So, so he did better. Right. So finally I've been convinced in my mind the reason he did is far beyond this earth. It's for the universe. Correct. I mean, we are just a minute speck out yes. there. And it's, you know, all this other creation out there, it's to show them what kind of God he really is. A God of love. Why... why? Why could Christ not have come and died for Lucifer? Because in the presence of God, 
with perfect knowledge, he still chose. He was not fooled. It was his choice. Correct. Lucifer had a... What more could you do? As a being, Lucifer had, as a created being, Lucifer had the most complete knowledge of the character of God in the universe. And he still chose to glorify himself. What more could have been done? Humanity was deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam Adam made a different choice. Which, uh, anyway. I know why God created, I mean, I understand why God created the earth, but I don't understand the world. I don't understand why he created Satan, knowing he was going to do that. <laughs> I mean, he created our earth to justify who he was. But when he created Satan, that was... I think he created Earth to. I think what you're saying is he created Earth to provide evidence, right, 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 as opposed to justify. Right. Um, but why create Satan, knowing he was going to sin like that? I but think he because was perfect though, he was perfect. He was not. Uh, everybody was perfect in the beginning. That's right. And the scripture tells us that Lucifer was but first of creation, created perfect until iniquity. Created perfect. So was Adam and Eve. But God knew Lucifer was going to sin. Before yeah. He did. Because therein lies true freedom. If God only created ones he knew was going to do well, then how could we ever say that we really had freedom to make our own choices? The, um, he didn't create robots. He created uh, someone to choose. So mm -hmm. Choose evil or choose good. So really, I mean, if you can choose good, then you can also choose evil. God, God creates in harmony with his character. The character of truth, the character of love, the character of freedom. And he thus that just is what it is. Wendell. I think the Hubble telescope has helped me on that, that one issue. And that is we are seeing light hitting that telescope that started thousands of years ago. Billions. Okay. Five yeah. billion years, yeah. light years away there are So my concept of a long time when I hit my finger. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's very short. Okay? Mm -hmm. When I experience pain and suffering, whatever, that's a very long period of time. And yet in, in, in my life, it's not very long. In the, in the sense of this history of this world, it's not very long. But when you compare the damage that was done by Lucifer, this could be a blink of an eye in eternity. Yeah. That's right. And it truly, when, when, when God says, you will remember this no more, is not because it's been erased. It's because it has no significance anymore in the grand scheme of eternity. We can't comprehend eternity. And, and the Hubble telescope has shown that there's millions of years past, mm -hmm. and there's going to be millions of years future. Right. And it is painful. And God hurts as well. I think, oh, I, I think if we hurt, um, imagine the immensity of God's pain, and yet He's willing to do that for an eternity mm -hmm. of peace. Uh, well said, very well said. Uh, yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> regarding the statement that this world was created to reveal the character of God, I think everything God created was revealed to, to reveal the character of God, including the universe that's up there prior to this earth. And even Satan himself, even Lucifer himself, when he walked, this, when he was up in heaven, his role was to reveal the character of God. Uh, very well said. Yeah, I, I think you're right on point. Karen, you had a comment. And I think Lucifer did that in a unique way. I think God creates out of love, and the thought that He would create toward an end is an antithetical to what creating out of love is. Right. Like choosing your children after you birth them, who you're going to call your child, and the beauty and the intrigue and the uniqueness that was Lucifer. It just bespeaks how much more of a loss it is for God to give him up to his choices right and like we're saying for eternity he will suffer the loss of lucifer and every other one of his children that chooses and every sparrow that fell i mean i would, I would think that god feels the pain of a sparrow getting hit by a car or a squirrel getting run over or a dog being damaged yes well it doesn't exactly answer her question because i don't think that we can answer her question over here a while ago but there's a statement in Desire of Ages that says that God did not foreordain that sin should exist, but that he foresaw the terrible emergency and he made provision for it. 
So he's not responsible for the existence of it at all. Right. I, I, again, well said. Thank you. Sin is described as the mystery of iniquity. Right. Nobody knows where it came from or how it came about. And its origin has no excuse. But therein lies a lot of people's difficulty with God. Correct. We look at it that way, but people very near and dear to me look at they they despise a God that would allow this mm-hmm. to happen and blame him for it and wish. The funny thing is, if you actually argued the point in court and said, would you really want the kind of God you're asking for when you say this? Would you want a God that doesn't that makes you behave whether you want to or not? Because that's the kind of God they're asking for. They expect that this God would only create a beautiful, you know, he would not allow this to happen. A good God could not allow this to happen, and they blame him for this happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I read uh, online just this morning, there was a a nine-year-old girl uh, in Minnesota. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Thank you. She died... Am I slowing down too much for you? <laughs> Karen's right. It doesn't matter. She died uh, of a brain-eating amoeba that uh, you know goes up through the nostrils, attacks, you know, eats the brain. It's exceedingly rare. And, you know, there have been 200 people in the last 50 years that have been diagnosed with this thing, and only one, only one person is is known to have survived this this uh, this process. But her mother's statement was, God must have been bored in heaven. And he looked around for uh, a little a little joy, a little tame, entertainment, and he came and took my daughter to make heaven a happier place. Okay, that, that's her God concept. I mean, really? Yeah, I struggle with this. I, I don't know if... I don't know if having a God concept like that gives that woman some peace. I hope it does. I can't imagine that um, on, on any deep investigation that that would give give anyone some consolation. But if that gives her some peace, so be it. God be with her. Yes. Uh, I found out last night that my 30-year-old daughter's brain tumor has come back. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear that. Mm. And the in February, when she had the surgery, I had a different God concept. And when I found out last night, all I heard was, I'm here. I'm with you. You know, he knows that this is terrible, too. And it's just, it was comforting to know that my God is here. You know, whatever happens. Uh, right. So it's... Uh, I love this God. This God, I I can't shut up about. As you can tell, don't. Go ahead. No, don't shut up. I mean, we, we need we need we need people like that that Man. that um, have <clears throat> experienced that sort of change and have who are who are unconstrained at sharing it. Um, where was I? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Garrett. <sighs> in the second paragraph in Monday's lesson, in spite of the fact that we were sinners and did not love God, he loved us and provided a mean, means for our sins to be forgiven through his son. This wondrous love is what draws us to him. Were sins not forgiven before Christ came to earth? <coughs> that, that's the implication in the statement. God provided a mean for, means for sins to be forgiven. Come on, really? The answer is a resounding no. Of course, sins were forgiven before Christ came to this earth. Exodus 34, 5 through 7. This is God speaking to Moses when Moses is up on the mountain. And God is graciously putting his hand over Moses in the cleft of a rock to reveal reveal himself. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. Moses proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. But he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay? This text has been used and misused to show a God of vengeance and and not only not so vengeful that he will punish you for your great grandparents' problems. And yes, it's very clearly that um, maintaining love to thousands, to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. How do we reconcile this? Thoughts? Yes, sir. He's describing heredity. <laughs> Things that we do. Thank you. That we do have effect on our offspring, and bad habits and whatnot are transmitted to our offspring. Correct. He's and he's warning us. He's revealing something about himself as a designer. He's saying, "This is the way I designed humanity to operate. If you if you're compliant in the law of love, the laws of health, laws of worship, this will be the result. If you're not compliant." You will pass on these uh, these issues down to the third and fourth generations. Epigenetics. <laughs> Genetics and epigenetics. That's right. If if, as the lesson suggests, the sins were not forgiven before Christ came, then how did Enoch and Elijah get translated? God is outside of time. True. But the sacrifice didn't happen if it was required. It didn't happen yet. It will happen, though. I mean, we know, we read this part, and we know this part, but we haven't read this part. God's read the entire book, so he knows that at this part, this is what's going to happen, and he can apply that remedy to the entire book, so to speak. My point is, is that, um, you know, Abraham was blessed. His seed was blessed because he kept God's commandments, statutes, laws, and deeds, but there were no commandments, statutes, laws, and deeds. In Exodus, it, it didn't come until or in, oh. uh, Genesis. It didn't come until Exodus. Well, there were and, uh, Sinai. So, had they, what the what God liked about Abraham is he was set right. He had a heart for God, and he understood Him, and that's what God required in the uh, in the relationship understanding that he was set right with Him. There wasn't a requirement that he had to have a sacrifice that was going to be multiple generations ahead to. Um, I want to clear up something you said. The, the laws that God imposed on the children of Israel, and he did, he imposed the, he said these are the Ten Commandments. Now they were ultimately a revelation of his character. They were a revelation of his law of love. And the additional Mosaic law was added because the children of Israel didn't, comprehend the concepts of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you might have read the law. <laughs> but the, when Abraham... Those were not. They, they were not new. That's correct. They yeah, they, they were, were there from creation. That's right. So the, he did have laws. He did have laws. Yeah. That Abraham. The laws that we look at in today's society of in, in our Adam's culture, unfortunately, they go to Sinai. They don't go to um, creation, and, and that's what I'm saying is that the the law that God wanted to write was love on our heart, the love relationship that was at the the foundation of love. Correct. Uh, let's see, Tuesday's lesson, the required death. Uh, okay, let's, let's get this out of the way right now. Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection were absolutely required for our restoration, for humanity's restoration back to harmony with the law of life and the law of love. Okay. It was not just his death, it was his life and his death and his resurrection. Why was Christ's death required? Okay? We may encounter this. We may encounter this soon. Or you may have encountered this question in the past. Why was Christ's death required? We, we should be able to answer that clearly and concisely. To show to the universe that God is right and Satan is wrong. Death, sin, kills Satan said, no, you will not die. It was established at the cross that Satan is a deceiver, that God is trustworthy because he tells the truth. Okay. Um, and also, that if sin kills, then why, why did Christ die? He was sinless. 
Well, I mean, the... He didn't die for his sins. He died for sin. He had no sins. But the disease of sin in the world is what he died for. He didn't... He didn't have sin. No, he didn't. He became for our sins. This is entertaining. Playing the devil's advocate. Yeah. His death revealed three things: the character, revealed the character of God. Good. Character, yes. Christ's character. Yes. And the character of Satan and his government. Okay, excellent. That's that's for starters. Okay, that needed to be done for humanity's sake, and he also revealed humanity's character. He revealed how out of out of harmony the human the human nature and character was with uh, God's law of love. And this is just where I'm studying at, so I might not be on the track, but I just really seem like, it seems like I need someone to fix my selfishness. <laughs> and I think that when Christ surrendered, not just at the cross, but all through his life, he developed a surrendered brain, a surrendered capacity to be other-centered. And then when he died that ultimate death, he just surrendered a huge thing. And now he can, through the Holy Spirit, take that victory over self and help me. Okay, good. You're, you're, you're moving on a step beyond, which I was going to get to, but thank you. His death resulted because of his separation from the Father. We separate from the Father. Which, the was, natural which was a result of... Separation of death. A, which was a result of, of Christ's choice. It was a result of his choices. No one takes my life. I, free, I lay it down. I give my life. Yep. Okay, Christ chose not to access the, you know, all all power in heaven and earth was given to him. He chose not to access that. Yes. He could not be the resurrection if he would not have died. Death comes before resurrection. Okay. Um, uh, again, you know, I, I think in Christ's life, uh, there were, there was, there were certainly revelations of his character, revelations of the Father's character, revelations of Satan's character, and revelations of human defects of character. Why did he have to ultimate, Why did he have to go all the way to death? He had to reveal the complete trust that required. Adam didn't trust. When he was faced with the opportunity in Eden, he, he saw the opportunity. He was left to his own to make the decision, and he trusted himself. God, when he when Jesus was on the cross, he saw the Father's not abandonment, but the not there. He could not see the the connection he had. Matter of fact, Ellen White says I uh, couldn't see through the portholes of, of the tomb or of the uh, of the tomb. And uh, but by doing that, he trusted completely in him, and that was the second Adam that that gave that understanding, that that realization that. Um, that I, I'm trusting you even though I don't understand. I, you know. Yes, ma'am. I think his death overcame eternal death. His death was victory over eternal death. Okay. Wendell? Hebrews 2.14. He destroyed the works of the devil, which is death. Right. By his death. Right. I try to simplify things as much as I can to, to, to people I'm witnessing to, and I like to use a football analogy for this one. Adam fumbled the ball on the one-yard line, and Jesus picked it up and carried it through to a touchdown. Now we've got a perfect human being that had lived out a full life that we can have through faith in him. We can also have eternal life. Okay. Did, did you have a comment, Heath, or are you stretching? Uh, it's just really simple. Like We just got a debt, which is paid for. Like, that's the bottom line, really. Okay. Um, consider... Consider that if, if Christ at any point along that pathway to, to the cross had said, I'm done with this. These, these humans, they just don't get it. I'm, I'm through. Send, Father, send me the legions of angels. Take me back. What would that have revealed? It would have revealed that Satan was correct. Satan would have won the war. Christ had to carry that pathway through all the way to death to actually, to, to honestly and completely reveal God's character and his character. That, that God, that the supreme sovereign ruler of all the universe would allow his created beings to kill him. 
and that Satan would kill his creator. Also, I just think as the onlooking universe observe what's going on, they're in total shock as they see the creator of the universe get murdered by... Sure, they were by, by their creator. By... The entire universe. Yes. Sacrifice. That's right. Not, and not only did it silence them, it fixed in their minds once and for all the evidence that, okay, I've seen enough. God was right. That's why Revelation says, rejoice you heavens. But woe to the earth, because the earth is the only place that, that Satan now has any anybody listening to him. Did he not have access to heaven until the cross? He was able to, I believe, he, I don't think he had access to actual heaven. I think he was able to waylay the angel, uh, heavenly angels coming and going and and still support his, support his arguments. But after that, they wouldn't give him the time of day. Hebrews 1, 9 says that Jesus tasted death. There's a big difference. Correct. That's right. He, he tasted it because he, he was resurrected. So Satan's next attack is since he's he's actually been revealed. Mm -hmm. He God gave him a chance, but he didn't give God a chance on when God came to his turf. <laughs> um, so his next attack was to help us misunderstand all of that. And so I just wanted to point out that in Isaiah fifty three it says, "Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows." Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by mm -hmm. death, and afflicted, but. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great prophecy about mm -hmm. what's going to happen, how how Christ's death is going to be distorted um, in the time since the cross. How, how many, I was wondering this past week, um, I, I really wonder if Satan really grasped the concept of what would be the results of him, you know, conspiring with evil men to kill Christ. It, I wonder if he had really considered that that his sympathy, he would no longer have any sympathies in heaven. And if if he had really considered it, would he have actually gone forward and, and killed Jesus? Would he have done it just because that's his nature? His nature is a destroyer? Or, or would or would did he have the capability to, to see what the results would or to, to reason what the results would be and decide, hmm, yeah, I probably shouldn't do this. It's his nature to destroy and to lie, and he he is completely that way. Or or did he not believe that that Christ and the Father are one? Yeah. Well, how many of us have ever been so convinced that we're right that despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we still maintain the idea that we're right? Yes. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? put too much trust in our feelings. Yeah, well, don't get me started on that. Um, again, from the lesson, uh, it's important to notice that Jesus died voluntarily. As the Father gave his one and only Son, so the Son gave his own life to redeem the human race. Nobody forced him to do so. And referencing John ten eighteen, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I, again, very well said from the lesson. Consider this then. If Christ's death was voluntary, and it was, then any doctrine stating that God killed his son or punished him on the cross must be satanic in origin. That's right. Okay, let's stop. Let's start calling this for what it is. These doctrines are doctrines of devils. They have as their author Satan himself. Okay, the last time I said that, a few months ago, I got, a, I got some emails saying that you probably shouldn't use the word satanic in Sabbath school. <laughs> I'm sorry, but let's let's deal with it, okay? Okay. Doctrine has only two potential authors. It has it has Christ's authorship or it has Satan's authorship. One more thing very well said from the lesson from Wednesday's lesson and then we're probably going to have to wrap it up. 
from the first paragraph, without Christ, we were slaves to sin, slaves to evil impulses of our fallen human nature. We live in a self-centered way, pleasing ourselves instead of living to the glory of God. The unavoidable result of this spiritual slavery was death, because the wages of sin is death. Again, I think this is very well said. It's accurate. It's on point. <coughs> to review, what is sin? Transgression of law, or in First John... Three fourths in his lawlessness. Which law? It's out of harmony with God's law of love, which is the design template that the universe was created to operate within. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Therefore, sin being out of the harmony with the design of life, sin pays its own wage. God does not death is not God's punishment. And I mean death the, the final death, the eternal death, it's not God's punishment. It's his letting go for us to reap the consequences of our choices. In medical terminology, <clears throat> sin is sickness. Yes. And death is the result if you're not cured. The, correct. Sin is terminal illness. Death is the result of not receiving the healing remedy. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for your insights. Thank you for... I personally want to thank you for the insights uh, of uh, the natural versus imposed law that we have been fleshing out over the last couple of years in this class. It has made has made things much more clear for me, and I hope uh, for others as well. Uh, we ask for your continued guidance, and we ask for greater light, greater understanding, a greater measure of your spirit, uh, and a motivation to share this with others so we can hasten your coming. In Christ's name, amen.